This podcast is brought to you by Cross Catholic Outreach. Last year, Cross Catholic Outreach provided over 30 million meals to families in need around the world. Join us in our global effort to reduce material and spiritual poverty. Learn more at crosscatholic.org/bless. Finding someone on an online Catholic dating site shouldn't be like shopping for a blender. So why do most dating sites leave you feeling like you're shopping for a spouse? At Catholic Singles, we connect members through our unique user polls and activities, which help you discover other members and their personalities and interests. Because you're a person, not a profile picture. So stop shopping and start discerning. Trust your love story to the original Catholic dating site and use the promo code BREADBOX at checkout for 20% off at catholicsingles.com. Listen. Welcome to the Shoot the Shiitake Show with me, Father Leo Paddlinghug, a Catholic priest on a mission to bring people of all different backgrounds together to learn to love and accept one another. Even if we disagree with each other, we got to be willing to listen to each other as God does with us and as we're supposed to do for each other. And this show isn't about the deep and technical things of theology and the Catholic Church, but rather taking these things and making it more practical in our life simply by listening. And this week, I have the pleasure of listening to a very unique man. He is the Archbishop of Vilnius. His name is Archbishop Ginteras Grushas. He is also the um, Apostolic Administrator for the Military Ordinate of Lithuania. He's the President of the Bishops' Conference of Lithuania. And his story, it relates to a love story of his mom and dad, and then, of course, the fall of communism. And I can also say he's the probably the only bishop in the entire world that got his pectoral cross, which is basically a symbol of his, his, his office. He got that from Costco. So you're going to have to stick around and listen to this amazing deep dish discussion. And if you want to support our show and our efforts to bring conversions one conversation at a time, Visit my website at platinggrace.com. Click on the Academy where you can become a member and support us by joining one of the tiered level memberships. And as a member, you'll not only be part of a unique online community, it'll give you access to premium content and other really special perks. But for now, please join my special guest, Archbishop Ginteras Grushas, the Archbishop of Vilnius, as I dive into a deep dish discussion and we shoot the shiitake. Thank you, Bishop Ginteras, for taking the time. But the fact is, we are stuck on a three-hour ride, so we have to talk. So I figure that this will be the best place to just get to know more about you, a unique story for sure. The Archbishop of Vilnius, the capital of Lithuania. But you're an American. How did you get here? Well, I'm a Lithuanian by family. My family was... uh, uh, separated during the war in Lithuania. My sister was born in Vilnius, and when she was less than two years old, the war began. My father went to join the partisan uh, defense forces and was picked up by the Germans at the time. Uh, he is to dig did trenches at the front lines. He escaped with some friends into Germany. They were in the displaced persons camps for several years. And when the war ended, the Iron Curtain fell, and my mother and my sister remained in Lithuania. My father was in the West, 
and they lost all contact. My father eventually made it to the United States uh, and finished school there, started working there, but they had lost complete contact. And after the war, so my parents had lost complete contact for 12 years. They didn't know who had survived the war or not. And um, only through friends of friends of friends found out that everybody had survived. When my father found out that everybody was alive, he started working to try to get my mother and my sister out of Lithuania, which was then in the Soviet Union. Um, We're talking 12 years going by, right? 12 years, no contact, no news. Uh, and that's just, you know, and we talk, we think today we see all the uh, news stories about war, about refugees, and the horrors of it. Uh, but there are hundreds of thousands of those stories of people who have lost their homes, who are in refugee camps, who uh, have lost contact with parts of their family or have lost loved ones in the war. So that tragedy played out in a very concentrated way here at, during World War II. And so after 12 years when they found out, my father started trying all sorts of ways to try to get them out, which was pretty much a mission impossible at that time. It was the late 50s, uh, mid-50s, late 50s, and the Cold War was in its uh, heyday. Um, and what eventually worked, because my father worked for IBM at the time, and what eventually worked was that um, my father, uh, he had tried going through the business channels, and the president of IBM, who was known to be uh, in dialogue with Moscow, T.J. Watson, uh, but that didn't work at the time. But he got my mother's and my sister's name on a list in the State Department of separated families, and there was a whole list. And when Vice President Nixon visited uh, Khrushchev in 1959, part of that meeting was a goodwill gesture from the Soviet side that allowed 200 families from around the Soviet Union to reunite with their loved ones outside of the Soviet Union. My mother and my sister were on the list. Um, so in 1960, they got to, to come from the Soviet Union to the United States to be reunited with my father. And in 1961, I was born. So um, le <laughs> leading eventually to... Uh, one of the guys who had run with my father got picked up by the Germans, ended up in the DP camps, uh, to nickname me Khrushchev's president <laughs> of the world. <laughs> okay, first of all, this is only a podcast, so there's no visual here, but literally I could insert the mind blow emoji. <laughs> that is kind of unbelievable for two reasons. One, that they were dedicated enough to keep looking, and the second, is that they kind of remained faithful to each other in a way. And so tell me, what is it like now? Where, where is your family settled? My parents died two years ago, but they died at the uh, beautiful ages of 98 and 99. Um, they, um, they had celebrated 76 years of marriage together, despite the fact that more than 15 of those were them being apart. Mm -hmm. um, but they celebrated 76 years of, uh, of matrimony, 
and an anniversary. I had, uh, they, they lived in California for a while, then when it became difficult, they moved out towards the Washington, D.C. area to be closer to my sister. Uh, but uh, because of her family situation, her husband became sick, um, and we decided that I would take them to live with me in Lithuania. So I'm going to fast forward a little bit and kind of ask you some brief characterizations of how you grew up in America with parents who experienced the tragedies of war, but also the faith required to survive war. What was it like for you, if you could explain it in a few encapsulating words or sentences, what was it like growing up for you? Well, the first thing, I didn't speak English till I went to kindergarten. So um, we spoke Lithuanian at home because my mother didn't speak English at the time, or very little English. Uh, so that was the first sort of, I know I'm different when I arrived at school. Um, playing ball with the kids was no problem. I said and they said ball and we both kicked it and we didn't find a problem with it the teachers had a little difficulty with me but uh, we made it through um, there are things that people who survived the war carry with them uh, through life uh, one of the things that we noticed as we talk about with my peers where our parents had come through that is uh, there would always be enough food in the house, canned supplies or something, that you could last probably about three months um, in the freezer. And, uh, and so, but Costco didn't exist then. No. But there is a story there. We'll get there. Um, but uh, so, and at a drop of a hat, if I had a friend over, it's, I guess, the Lithuanian hospitality that we get. Uh, my mother would have the table covered in five minutes with food. and So a lot of the Lithuanian culture, I actually did grow up with the Lithuanian culture in the United States and, and had that uh, experience very well. Um, and uh, I, you kind of felt a bit divided because you were Lithuanian, you grew up, and I was very involved in the Lithuanian community. Uh, very active, both folk song and dance, and Saturday schools, and later on political activities. Um, so there was a, a lot of uh, Lithuanian in me, and the other half of me was quite American. And when did you start to get the sense for a call to the priesthood? Oh, I... Early on, I had twinges of it. Um, I remember I probably left my first serious girlfriend out of high school because I was going to go and become a priest and then I spent 10 years probably going in the opposite direction um, so you you get a lot of that so 10 years of really discerning and my discernment was quite uh, interesting difficult uh, I was pulled in many directions. I had a lot of interests. Um, so I, I finished college at UCLA in math computer science. I worked for IBM as a systems engineer marketing for large system computers. Uh, I was at that same time the president of the Lithuanian World Youth Association. So we were organizing Lithuanian world youth events in the diaspora, all sorts of things. So I was 
living very intensely in all directions. Um, and uh, but when did you pull the trigger and say, you know, ego zoom? I am I am here to serve you. I am here to do your will. And then all of a sudden you wind up back here in Lithuania, which you really had no relations to other than what your parents told you. And it's a totally different world now. Yeah, I, I went through, uh, I had been engaged to be married. Uh, Another mind blow emoji, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> um, and uh, even before I, I got engaged, we were discussing with the young woman whether we should be getting married or I should be going into the seminary. So that should have given both of us a, a pretty good clue that, um, but so be it. God does work in mysterious ways. He rides with crooked lines. Um, and I had a very intensive uh, three months, both running a, uh, getting engaged, three months into which uh, in December, I had a major installation of a $12 million computer system that I was responsible for the technology for, plus organizing a Lithuanian World Youth Congress in Australia. This was before emails. Uh, we were still working with faxes, and we had about three, 400 people from 13 countries for three weeks in Australia doing a congress. So I was... Um, so you're an, you're, an, you're an underachiever, <laughs> is basically what you're saying. Pretty stressed out at that point. Uh, came back, the, the engagement uh, nulled out, um, and I decided not to rebound into the seminary. I decided to take a year and uh, give it some time. And... Uh, uh, as it would happen, and I, we were talking about this earlier, um, I had not been to Medjugorje, I'd heard about it, and I decided to take a pilgrimage, and I took a pilgrimage with my mother at the time. And we just flew there. Out of really a cha last minute change of dates and plans, I ended up being in Medjugorje on the day that I was supposed to have been married. <laughs> So God, I, sorry for laughing, but no. this is so weird. <laughs> no, no, God does really have a sense of humor, yeah. and he, he kind of—if you don't get it—I call it two by four spirituality, yeah. where if you don't get it the first time, he beats you over the head with a two by four till you come to the gently, field. gently, <laughs> gently, but definitely. Uh, yeah. So my um, my pull the trigger moment was actually I was up for interviews at IBM for a promotion at the end of the year. And I was interested at that time in uh, the field of artificial intelligence. And this was just the beginning of AI. Um, and I was preparing for the interviews. They had three people flying in from the East Coast, and I was to fly up to Palo Alto to do these interviews. And the day before, I was sitting there preparing for the interviews and writing down what do I want to do with my life? What kind of job? What? <coughs> and uh, I'm writing down all these things, public speaking, management, leadership, counseling, um, no, law. Everything business. that will help the church, but we don't always use. Yeah. And that was it. I looked at the list finally, and I said, wow, that's everything a priest does. And if I really want to follow 
all those directions. That's the... So, I've made my decision. I have three people flying in. I've got a ticket to fly to Palo Alto the next day. Um, I've come to the realization that I'm leaving and I'm going to become a priest. And... uh, I fly up for the interviews, and the first two interviews are absolutely normal, everyday interviews. The third interview, the guy starts out saying, we don't usually consider somebody at your level for this type of position, but... And it turned out to be a position on um, the team that was to form the strategy for IBM for artificial intelligence for the 90s. Make by and direction and at that point my jaw dropped and I started rethinking the process again Um, and uh, I had dinner with a friend that evening who gave me probably the best spiritual advice that I had Uh, again sometimes you got to do it or get up off the can Um, I'm sure he used those exact (laughs) terms (laughs) exactly um And so I went back the next day, and my bosses knew more about the interviews than I had known before I came back. So when I went in, instead of telling them that I was going off to the East Coast to do AI and told them that I was leaving to enter the seminary, uh, I blew a couple circuits, I'm sure, of other people. Uh, About half the people in the office said, oh, yeah, we always knew you'd be a priest. And the other half looked at me and said, you, a priest? Uh, And so the office was pretty much divided 50-50 about me. Um, Which sounds like our own heart sometimes. Yeah, it really does, and you you get that. I I then uh, had to come up. Everybody was asking me, you know, you're leaving for the seminary. Why? And you just get the question over and over, and there was over 150 people in the office. So I had, I came up with an elevator pitch response, which uh, when they asked me why I'm leaving IBM for the seminary, I said, look, better boss, better product line, yep. and an unbeatable retirement bag. Out of this world. <laughs> so now you go in, and you probably have a typical-ish experience, typical-ish experience of seminary formation, and uh, you studied seminary in the United States or where? No, I have the most atypical experience of seminary. Of course you do. <laughs> I, my, my life is not normal. It's hang on for the ride and God has planned whatever you just can't even imagine. Um, I did my pre-theology because I had had the mathematics degree, so I had most of my philosophy done. So... Um, the bishop said you could go study anywhere I wanted. It was the bishop for the diaspora. And so I spent uh, a year at Steubenville in the pre-theology program. Um, yeah, that was the other thing. When I left IBM, uh, I all of a sudden had a, a townhouse that I had to get rid of because I had no more income coming yeah. in. And the woman who sat in front of me at the early morning mass... Uh, was a real estate agent and I asked her if she would sell my house very quickly and uh, she took it on my townhouse sold in two weeks uh, and it took longer because I had two people who got in a bidding war over my asking price and they bid up my asking price by $10,000 which is exactly what I needed for my one year at Steubenville 
so um, I had nine months to prepare um, was able to do retreats, some travel and then in September started, did a year in Steubenville and this is about the time that Lithuania was becoming independent um, I then went to Rome uh, to study theology my first weekend in Rome and this is the other thing that you, you, you don't dream this up God has a plan that's just out of this world um, my first weekend in Rome I arrive on a Wednesday coming from the States first time stayed at the Lithuanian college till uh, school started in the fall when I studied at the Beta um, and I arrived, and everybody's running around the college. It's half empty because the students, most of them, have turned returned for vacation uh, to their homes. And the people who are still there are running around because I didn't know it till a little later. But the Holy Father, the the uh, had called up the uh, the Vatican offices and said the Holy Father wants to come to the college on Sunday to celebrate Mass. Uh, over Vatican Radio to show his closeness to the people in Lithuania who are undergoing this movement towards independence. So and this year was? 1990. And so a lot was happening around this time for Lithuania. Yeah, there, uh, actually probably nine... Now I have to remember, 90 or 91. No, that's okay. I, I just know that in the late 90s and in, in the 1991, there was a big thing that took place, which really kind of rocked the world. And it had to do with, obviously, communism. So even though you didn't grow up in a communist state, you were influenced to some degree by an understanding of it. Is that correct? Oh, yes. I knew the. I, I had some contact, even, uh, in my first trip, and the... Uh, what I call political work, but it was support for the church and the underground here, and we had contact, so I was very much involved in all of that. And I knew a lot of the people, even from previous trips, even now Cardinal Thumkavichus and I first met uh, on my first trip here, which was 1979, which was when he was heading up the underground, and not yet in the gulags in Siberia. So uh, I, we knew each other, and my mother was very much involved in that sort of dissident uh, movement. So you were ordained what year? 1994. And since 19... Priest. I was ordained a deacon in 92. Um, so I had... Uh, so my first weekend in Rome, going back, I had uh, served Mass for the Pope in a small Lithuanian college chapel got to greet the Pope uh, in the courtyard, and then he stayed for breakfast. So my first weekend in Rome, I had breakfast with the Pope. Typical. Oh, of course. <laughs> everybody does that. Um, so I studied for two years in Rome, and uh, I had up, I have the opportunity um, because formally my diocese was Vilnius, and that's just something with the Lithuanian diaspora during the war the Vatican allowed priests to be incarnated in a Lithuanian diocese, so the bishop who was in charge of the diaspora, the Lithuanians outside of Lithuania, could move him from diocese to diocese as the needs for the Lithuanian community were. 
So my official Diocese of Incarnation by record would be Vilnius. So I decided to come uh, to Vilnius to do a summer pastoral assignment. And that was supposed to be two months long. Um, the two months uh, I had started uh, and the bishop asked me to help out in the Curia. And I, after three weeks of which, uh, after lunch, he said, let's go for a walk. And he asked me to, to interrupt school for a year and come work in Lithuania. He said that he would ordain me a deacon, and then he asked me to organize John Paul II's visit to Lithuania. So my first job as a deacon was to organize John Paul II's apostolic trip in 1993. This sounds almost like you're making it up, but I know you can't. <laughs> because it's been an extraordinary experience from your vocation of growing up, you know, in America, your vocational discernment, even just your seminary formation is unique, but now your job is unique. You've got, you're wearing a lot of titles and I'd love to just kind of hear, translating for Americans, what's it like to be Lithuanian uh, and explain it for an American? What does it mean to be a Lithuanian? Well, I think a good explanation of it is what the Holy Father told us when we were here, and that was to, to go back to your roots, take your strength from your roots. And it's a country that has suffered a lot, especially in the last century, century and a half. Um, I, just to put it in perspective for an American, I think my sister, when she was working uh, years ago in California, May Company in the personnel department, and um, she was dealing with a problematic employee, and he uh, he started saying, "You know, you're making you're being difficult because my ancestors were slaves." And and she turned to him and said, "I don't want to hear it from you. The same time your ancestors were slaves, my ancestors were slaves." Wow. And. That's not a typical response from a blue-eyed, blonde-haired woman in the United States. But if you look back into the history of Lithuania, the whole country was under serfdom to the Russian Tsar. And for the most part, most of the people here were slaves. Um, so, you know, a little bit of a different perspective. Um, the language was persecuted, the people were persecuted, to some degree the religion was persecuted. Tell me a little bit about that, especially from the point of view of a bishop. Well, you know, in different periods, back under the Tsar, the religious were uh, cast out of the country, uh, but the, the major persecutions, we would have to say, were during the communist era. So between after the Second World War, uh, you had a lot of the population that was uh, the intellectual part of the population. A lot were deported to Siberia. Many were killed during the war. Many had to flee to the West. And so it was a very difficult period. But we had a lot of priests and bishops uh, who kept strong in their faith and stood up for the church. Many of them, we've got several who are now blessed. Um, Just so you know, for people who don't understand what that means, they were killed for their faith, and now they are beatified uh, in the Holy Catholic Church as martyrs, as saints of God. And there are many more who, 
haven't gone through the canonical process. Sure. But very many people actually gave their lives for their faith here. And uh, people would lose their jobs, their positions, the possibility for advancement in work if you were caught uh, participating actively in church activities, teaching your children. Um, many priests were not allowed to even work there, be priests. They would have to work in factories if they had their, we would now say uh, a bishop would take your faculties, but then the government would forbid you from acting as a priest. Well, this is very interesting. A lot of people don't understand this. We use the term fascist, communist, socialist in a very unorganized, uneducated <coughs> way. You have a, a more accurate perspective. Why do you think communism and the church are constant well why do you think the church fights against communism and why do you think communism wants to get rid of the church in a way um it, it's very much a basic thing the communists uh philosophy says that man can save himself uh whether it's through economy whether it's through organized labor whether it's but it's man's making man's own salvation um our only salvation is through Jesus Christ. That's the whole Christian message. Um, and uh, if man begins to think that he can save himself, uh, he's going to lose his way. He's not going to be able eventually to save himself. And that's what we saw both in socialism, the Nazis, or uh, within the communistic regime. Uh, they created a fantasy that could not be realized in the end. And I think it's some of the dangers that we have today as well. Which is what I want to ask you. I want you to speak as a bishop to all of us in America, because a bishop for the church is a bishop for the world in a way. What do you think we need to be learning from you, your perspective? You can speak to us like an American. What would be some of the pastoral advice you would give? Oh, I think I think the pastoral advice is the same around the world. Um, I think it is getting to know, having a personal relationship with Jesus, to understand that God is the God of our lives, and if we put anything else in that place, uh, our lives are going to implode. Now, whether that is uh, a relativistic attitude that I can make my own rules whether that is that money is my salvation or my career is my salvation or uh, I do what I want because I want to do it uh, or I call myself what I want because I make my own creation. Um, that is the slippery slope that eventually leads to a human self-destruction. Um, and so what people found here. Uh, is, and I believe what saved the country, is that people eventually found that only in God is uh, their salvation, is their strength. And you find that a lot in the writings of the people who were deported, who ended up on the icy tundras of Siberia, uh, and they were looking for survival. And those people... Uh, who could latch on to God and you, you, you saw some beautiful things people who had very few rations 
used part of their bread and dried it with a wrapped around a string to make rosaries. And we've got various, you know, these little bread rosaries on thread that people use to pray, even in the worst conditions. And that's where our identity, our strength comes from. So I think that that's the main message. The devil will use any sort of system to try to get us away from God. And so if you um, don't readjust your aim back to God, um, you're going to miss the target. Amazing. Just two more quick questions. Well, just a couple more before we bring this to a close. What's the greatest blessings of you being a bishop here in Vilnius or being a Lithuanian? And what are some of the challenges for you? blessings are very much that uh, God has more planned for you or me uh, than we can ever hope or imagine. I think my life history is is really a, a testament to that. I could never in my wildest dreams imagine uh, a lot of the things that got, how I ended up here and what God has planned for me. And you take it for granted that you don't know what God has planned for our future. It could be that I follow the way of these guys who ended up in the gulags, especially here, because on the front lines, we are on both sides. We've got the Russians on one side and the Belarus on the other. Um, the Belarusians are building an atomic reactor that is 40 kilometers from the capital city of Lithuania. Um, so, you know, you don't know what tomorrow is bringing. And it's really a trust in God. Um, and God really has this painted out. I remember, uh, as an example, my first retreat in Steubenville was on the image of divine mercy and the revelations of divine mercy. At that time, I didn't know that they took place in Lithuania and that the original picture yeah. was in Lithuania. And now I'm the bishop who is responsible for... Uh, taking care of both the image and I spend a lot of time promoting the devotion because uh, it happened in our diocese and we have a lot of holy places, landmarks where these things took place, where the image was painted. Um, so you don't know what God has planned for you and it's much more incredible and it's not just me. I think every life has that. Every God has a plan for everybody and it's a matter of trying to just identify it and when you have, just hang on for the ride because his blessings are much greater than uh, than we can ever imagine. And what would be the challenges? And go ahead. You could be honest. You can confess this. No one is listening. I'm kidding. Just as a bishop, you go through a lot of stuff. But what would be some of the challenges that you go through? I think our challenges are the same um, that we have with, with the new... Um, our entrance into the European Union and the Western culture coming in, we have a lot of the attacks on people of relativism, of everybody gets to choose what they want to do. And I think it's just the devil dangling shiny balls and baubles at us to get our attention away from God. And, you know, that's why it's so important to go back to our roots and to find those strengths where... Uh, our forefathers managed to um, 
managed to maintain their faith in very difficult times. So it's a reminder that we too have to be able to be very much rooted in our faith to weather whatever storms lie ahead um, and to keep ourselves focused. And for as a bishop, trying to help to keep people focused on God uh, in a society that has 24-7 distraction uh, is, is probably the greatest challenge. If people can focus on God, God will do the rest. It's just letting him in our lives. The last question, it's going to sound a little presumptuous, but I ask this in every one of my shows. First of all, thank you for the interview. This was truly emoji mind blow. That's what I'm going to call this here, emoji <laughs> mind blow. But what can I, as a priest, how can I help you? I'm going to cite Pope Francis, pray for me. I think that really is the number one because uh, your bishops need prayer, so do your priests. Um, and that the strength of prayer, the strength of community, the strength of the unity of the church, and understanding that no matter where we are, whether it's in the United States or Lithuania or anywhere else in the world, we do create one body. And as the Pope in his letter reminded us, uh, I think it was last year, maybe two years ago, um, if one part of the body hurts, the whole body hurts. That was something very important in the times of persecution here, because we knew people were praying for us around the world. And the last story, because we brought it up, the pectoral cross from Costco. <laughs> you have such a unique story. A pectoral cross, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, is what a bishop wears around his neck. It's just basically a big cross or a crucifix. And in this case, I understand the word Gintaras, which is your name, literally means amber, which is kind of like the national stone of Lithuania. But yours is kind of interesting. What's your story behind that? Well, it's a gift for my sister who, after I was named a bishop, went shopping with a friend. And as they were chatting, driving to the store that they intended to go to, they got distracted and found themselves in the parking lot of a store they didn't intend to go to. Uh, they decided, since we're here, let's go in. They went in, and very strangely, because the store typically doesn't carry that, uh, there was a table full of amber jewelry. And on the table was this very unique uh, pre-made cross that is polished on one side and raw amber on the other. And uh, it's very distinctive. It's got a uh, sort of a very bright, shiny center. So it looks like it's uh, shining out. And uh, so I, I wear it pretty much always as my pectoral cross, because it's also my name, as you said. But the kicker in the story, of course, is the place where she bought it. The store that they by accidentantly ended up at going into uh, is probably known to most of your listeners, and it's called Costco. <laughs> so I am the only bishop, as far as I know, who has a pectoral cross from Costco. And on top of that, because it was a sale, she has 15 other ones, right? <laughs> Excellency, this was truly amazing. When I return, I'm going to give you my carryout order. What did I learn from this incredible conversation with Bishop Ginteras? We'll be back in just a moment. Welcome back to Shoot the Shiitake for my carryout order. It was an amazing privilege, first of all, to spend this much time with him as the head of the uh, the, the Bishop's Conference for 
for Lithuania, but also to meet his brother bishops, having had just a nice meal. And then we had a, a pretty long drive back to, um, to the capital where I had to get a flight literally early the next morning. And to be honest with you, I was a little annoyed because I would have rather have stayed in Lithuania for at least a few more days. Because even though everyone there was just way taller and whiter than me, I felt at home. I really did. I felt at home because of their sense of their Catholic faith. And whenever you're in a Catholic church, you always feel at home. But my carryout order with the Archbishop is um, probably just amazement to know, first of all, that he is the product of a love story that was about 15 years in the making. To know that a love endured as long as his father's love for his mother, even though she was stuck behind the Iron Curtain, there was still hope for the love that they had. To know that his upbringing was not only so traditionally Lithuanian, but incredibly American as well. I mean, even to the point of, my goodness, his sister getting his pectoral cross from Costco of all places. But also just knowing that he represents a unique generation for a unique part of the world in a unique part of the world's history. And we all have a part to play. And where he got his inspiration from, from his faith, from obviously his American understanding of things, but also just his international exposure. I, I don't want to embarrass the man, but he's very papabile. He's very popable, so to speak, because of his, because of his unique understanding of the evils of the world and what the Catholic Church has to do to fight against it. I've said it before in previous podcasts about the evils of socialism and communism. This has nothing to do with Democrats versus Republicans. This has to do with good versus evil. And if there is a formal institution that wants to replace the church by claiming that man has the ability to save himself, you're going to find in history that has never, ever worked. The only way that man is able to help himself is if he relies on the help of God to do it. And so just the vocation story that Archbishop Grucius went through uh, and, and all of his experiences has tempered, his, tempered all of his skills and has, has truly made him a humble servant. I mean, this is a man who's got a lot going for him. I mean, he was engaged, for God's sakes. He was d doing multi-million dollar deals with AI and, you know, having had all of the luxuries of life. And yet, he goes to a simple place in Medjugorje, formerly Yugoslavia, now in Bosnia-Herzegovina. By the way, that's a place where I experienced my own vocation as well, a real sense of my calling to the priesthood. It just goes to show that ultimately man can save himself if he allows himself to experience the simplicity of life and therefore God can work with that humility. I love that story or that reference of how the people of his time, even though the government wanted to control everything, they can't control your spirit, that they would even make bread rosaries. You know, when I went to the Hill of the Crosses, and not only just because it was so dang cold, but there was a coldness there left from the feelings of communism, but also a real sense of courage and bravery that warms your heart knowing that in, the, in spite of, 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 of these tyrannical governments that want to get rid of the church and be your savior. Really, our savior is in the cross of the Lord. And that's one reason why he wears it around his neck 
not just as a symbol of authority, but a symbol of his office. And his office is to carry the Lord's cross behind him and help the people of his diocese carry their cross. What an amazing pleasure. And I hope that you enjoyed this conversation. And if you want to support all of our efforts to bring conversions to people, which means basically means turning towards each other, making someone a religion or forcing them to join a religion. No, it's conversion, to turn towards each other one conversation at a time. Please be sure to visit our, our platform and our online community by going to platinggrace.com. Join the Academy. Be a tiered member. Support our efforts with your donations. And that allows you not only to access to a, a unique online community, but it also gives you premium content and other special perks. So once again, I want to thank my very special guest, the Archbishop of Vilnius, Ginteras Grushas, for joining me and shooting the shiitake. And I want to thank you, the listeners, for being a part of it. And between now and the next time we shoot the shiitake, stay hungry. Looking for a way to build daily prayer discipline? Seen the rise in mindfulness meditation, but not sure if it is possible to meditate in a way that's consistent with your Catholic faith? Just looking for a way to breathe new life into your existing prayer routine? No matter what you're looking for, Hollow is here to help. Hollow is a Catholic prayer and meditation app that helps users deepen their relationship with God through audio-guided contemplative prayer sessions. From meditations on the daily gospel to the rosary to daily examines, Hollow has something for everyone. Hollow is the number one Catholic app in the U.S. It is free to download and has permanently free content, but you can also check out all of the premium sessions for 30 days, risk-free, by signing up at www.hollow.app slash breadbox.